talking to you guys about a local unsolved mystery, and that mystery is the identity of Allen County's 1992 Mary Jane Doe. Peyton, do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Um, hi, I'm Peyton. Um, I work with Stella at the newspaper. Um, I'm a futures editor, and yeah, I'm excited to be here. Oh yeah. Alright guys, so for our case, here we go. So, our first mystery is the 1992 Allen County's Mary Jane Doe. According to the Journal Gazette, on Friday, May 15, 1992, a Fort Wayne contractor was renovating his grandfather's vacant home in the southwest side of the city with his three-year-old son. As he did his work on the ground floor, his son walked up to him with something in hand a pink sneaker with an ankle bone inside. Oh. Yeah. The what? contractor, who had previously worked in a morgue, knew something was very wrong. He began to inspect the house for bodies, but he found nothing until he went into the basement. It had been flooded with eight or ten inches of water, but it didn't take him long to discover the badly decomposed body of a white female between 20 to 25 years old, face down in the water. Oh, my God. She had blonde or light brown hair, and her body was under a furniture cover that the contractor had left in the home months ago. When police arrived, the coroner's office took her in and found that she was 26 weeks pregnant. Measured between 4'6 and 5'2 feet tall, her body was so badly decomposed that they could not determine her facial features. It was not determined if the woman died before or after the basement flooded. The coroner's office speculated that she died in late 1991 or early 1992 and that she had possible back pain or an altered posture during her life based on the fact that she had, quote-unquote, less than average muscularity and stature. The coroner's office speculated that she was trying to keep herself warm with the furniture cover she was found in rather than having been put under the cover by someone else. And further, they speculated that she was homeless and squatting on the property. She was found wearing a gray or light blue windcrest jacket, black sweatpants, a striped knit shirt, and two gold-colored necklaces. In an interview with the Journal Gazette shortly after her initial autopsy on May 26, Allen County Coroner Philip E. O'Shaughnessy said, We saw no fractures, no bullets, no evidence of foul play. With no leads, no witnesses, and not even a name for the body, she was buried in Lindenwood Cemetery and her case faded into the background. Oh, Peyton? Oh my gosh. Okay, I know. that's a lot. Wait, okay, so there's speculation about how exactly she died. Did she, like, freeze or? They're not they're, sure. Okay. Her body was very badly decomposed, as said before, so they couldn't determine if she had been, like, beat at all, if she'd oh. been, you know, attacked of any sort. Um,. The coroner's office didn't find, like, any water in the lungs, so I don't think she drowned. Um, but, yeah, they don't suspect any foul play. It, You know, apparently it's very easy to die from hypothermia, so, yeah. yeah. Ne and, next and time I have the heating up, I'm going to appreciate that a little more. Right, exactly. Yeah. And that, um, I know we talked about this a little before the podcast, but that just brings up, like, you know, like the debate about how homeless people aren't really, you know... Like, treated well? Right, and yeah. they just, you know, stuff like that happens, and there's... It could have been prevented, you know what I mean? But yeah. that's, that's a whole other podcast. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. In August of 2016, her case was revived, and a new investigation was launched. 
Her body was exhumed on March 17, 2021 for various new tests, including dental radiographs, DNA examinations, and a second autopsy. Parts of her skeletal remains were sent to universities and labs for testing. So far, the only information that has come to light is that she had healing fractures on her right and left nasal bones, meaning that in some recent time prior to her discovery, the bones had been broken. A clay facial reconstruction was created in 2019, but nearly three decades later, Mary Jane Doe still does not have her name back. And then, for the viewers at home, sorry, you guys can't see, but Peyton, that paper over there contains, yep, the clay reconstruction of Mary Jane Doe. That is so interesting. Right? I I never understand how they're, like, like, obviously, they examine the, the bones and the structure, but, like, I don't know, that's just very interesting yeah and whenever i see the reconstructions there's always like a weird sense of uncanny valley like Mm -hmm. and not just oh it's a creepy looking robot there's also like i feel like a kind of melancholy to it where they don't look human but you know they're supposed to and there's like yeah an extra level of tragedy to it and this this whole story is just so sad and like the nasal bones being broken you know she went through something clearly and just Yeah. yeah it just all the details make it even sadder yeah yeah sorry to any listeners at home who wanted some easy listening this was this is not the episode for you (laughs) all right so what are the theories surrounding mary jane doe's identity so our first theory that we have today is that mary jane doe was Teresa gay kaiser a 28 year old woman who disappeared december 30th 1991 from manatee county florida According to the Charlie Project, she was last seen walking away from her mobile home in the morning and has not been seen since. Her husband claimed that she had packed her bags and left to meet a man named Kevin, who has never been identified. However, her husband might not be trustworthy. He and Kaiser had a very tumultuous relationship. Kaiser's husband had been accused of battery against her three times. The first two were not prosecuted, but on the third instance, he pled no contest and was put on an 18-month probation. Kaiser had, in fact, left her husband at least five times in five years, or ten times in five years, but she would always keep in touch with her father and other relatives while she was away. Prior to Kaiser's disappearance, her husband said that the two had stopped fighting, but Kaiser had told her father that she was unhappy and wanted to leave the marriage. Her husband, however, failed to report her missing, and Kaiser's father, who lived in Mississippi, had to report her missing a month after her disappearance. Foul play, for obvious reasons, is suspected in Kaiser's disappearance. And then on that same paper, Peyton, you have, um, under the reconstruction, what Kaiser looked like. It, it does look like a lot of the features are very similar to the clay reconstruction, like the lips and stuff. Yeah. That's, ooh, and that theory, do you, do you think that's plausible? That, like... You want to you wanna keep going? Okay. See, see some of the reasons, yeah? So, now on to the reasons why Mary Jane Doe might be Teresa Gay Kaiser. Mm. First of all, like the Doe, Kaiser was white, she had blonde hair, she stood at 5'5", and she weighed 135 pounds. Her eyes were blue, and she had a tattoo on her upper arm, but the body was so decomposed that the body might have had these features. Kaiser was 28 years old at the time of her disappearance, whereas the estimation for the Doe was between 20 and 25. However, age estimations can be slightly off, and in the grand scheme of things, three years is not that drastic a difference to be ruled out. 
Detective Young of the Fort Wayne Police Department stated to an online investigator on WebSleuths.com in 2016 that Kaiser was rumored to be in the Fort Wayne area after her disappearance. If we believe her husband's stories of how Kaiser left that December morning, then perhaps Kaiser might have discovered she was pregnant and decided to leave her abusive marriage with Kevin, who might have been some sort of friend or romantic partner. Her new life might have not gone the way she wanted, however, and Kaiser might have become homeless, squatting in various houses. Unfortunately, as we said before, it is very easy to die from hypothermia, and so Kaiser might have died from hypothermia in the basement of that house. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's... I couldn't find any more information on, like, why Detective Young thought she was in Fort Wayne or whatever, but um, I'm sure, you know, it's not like he just made that up, you know, right. for an online investigator. Yeah. yeah. I wonder why they, do you know why they reopened the case after they initially For Mary Jane Doe it? or Kaiser? A Mary Jane Doe. Um, well, as... <laughs> As I'll say later in the podcast, 2020 and 2021 have been very good years for identifying unidentified decedents, mm-hmm. um, mostly because of DNA testing. It's gotten oh, so right. advanced. And even though there is kind of like, you know, arguments on, you know, sh- should companies be allowed like 23andMe? Like, should they be allowed mm-hmm. to share your... Oh, yeah. That's, in- a, yeah. that's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but one of the positive effects of that, though, is that people are able to identify then missing people because they find that their DNA matches with a sibling or with a parent. And so it's it's sad because a lot of does, um, unfortunately, they're people that relatives didn't even realize they were missing mm-hmm. or dead. So, yeah. yeah, that's not a revelation I want to be met with. But <laughs> yeah. That's... All right. Now. Here's some reasons why Kaiser might not be Mary Jane Doe. First of all, save for the rumor from Detective Young, there is no other reason to believe that Kaiser would be in Indiana, much less Fort Wayne. Florida is obviously a long way from Indiana, so why go there instead of somewhere closer? For instance, her family lived in Mississippi. Why would she not go when the state is closer and she knows people there? Also, when she had left her husband in the past, she would always keep in touch with her family, but they have heard no contact from her since she disappeared. Why, this time around, would she go completely silent? Upon her disappearance, Kaiser left a $300 paycheck at her workplace. Regardless of her reasons for possibly leaving on her own accord, why would she leave some much-needed money behind? Kaiser was also reportedly close to her family. Why would she not tell them such a big announcement as being pregnant? Finally, it's clear that the husband was abusive to her. He lied about the state of their marriage, and he failed to report her missing to anyone. Who's to say he didn't lie about Kaiser packing up her things and leaving, and also lying about the existence of Kevin? Mm -hmm. None of her family or her friends have said Kaiser ever mentioned to Kevin, and the police are unable to confirm he even existed. According to the U.S. Department of Justice, the number of homicides reached an all-time high of 24,703 homicides in 1991. And sadly, Kaiser might have been one of those victims at the hands of her husband. Oh. I know. So either way, yeah, it's, I, no matter what happened, the husband is... <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> I want to say a not nice word, but I can't do that. Yeah, we're on a school podcast. podcast. We got to keep it PG. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, but it's definitely, as all these cases will, you know, be, of course, but it's just very sad because there's not, there's not a lot of, like, theories you can propose where it ends Mm -hmm. well for Kaiser, you know, but 
personally, I don't think Kaiser is dough. Um, I just think that, you know, again, there's not a lot of information on that rumor from Detective Young, so maybe if that was, like, expounded upon, you know. Exactly. That's the thing that, like, gets me is, Mm -hmm. you know, exactly what you said. Why would she be in Indiana? Exactly. Like, yeah, I mean, even if I'm running from an abusive husband, I'm not going to Indiana. (laughs) 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 Um, yeah, but if you have any info about Teresa Gay Kaiser or any information regarding her disappearance, you are asked to call 941-747-3011. Now, on to our next theory. Okay. But first, first, we have to have a little thank you for a certain someone. (laughs) All right. So today the Charger Online podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Hoffman Certified Organics. Hoffman Organics is a local USDA-certified organic farm specializing in 100% organic chickens. Since the start of the farm back in 2015, the farm focused on pure organic chicken and turkey. They strive to produce the highest quality and ethically raised organic products available on the market. Their chickens live on clean, fresh grass, eating only organically raised grains, pasture grasses, and cover crops. You can visit our sponsor on their website at www.hoffmanorganics.com, where you can find the purpose of their farm and also how they raise their chickens. Also, you can follow them on Facebook by the same name to find updates on the farm and seasonal deals. Thank you again, Hoffman Organics, for sponsoring the Charger Online podcast. You ever had to deal with a turkey? No. They're very mean. They're really? very mean. That's that's what I've heard. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they look delightful. I've seen them, like across the the road oh they're satanic the yeah they're the one animal i feel no qualms about eating you oh, know yeah yeah, yeah like, they're, they're worse than chickens oh they're very much worse than chickens i wonder why probably because they have a national holiday dedicated to hunting them down and eating them oh that's true yeah. sorry i just I, I had to get some hot chocolate yeah we have some hot <laughs> chocolate with us it's the benefits of having a cure egg in the classroom mm-hmm. all right now on to our second theory <laughs> And that second theory is that Carla Beth Anderson is Mary Jane Doe. Carla Beth Anderson was a 23-year-old woman with an intellectual disability who disappeared on November 13, 1987, from Wadena, Wisconsin. According to Anderson's NamUs.gov profile, Anderson was employed at Hardee's, and although Anderson had a mild mental disability, she tried to lead as normal a life as possible and was very proud of her independence. She had a boyfriend in Lake Park, Illinois, and she'd even been named Employee of the Month on the Friday that she disappeared. Good for her. No, good for her, but, like, that's so sad. I know. (laughs) After work, Anderson went to a restaurant called Taco John's with her mother and stepfather to celebrate the announcement. After dinner, between 7.30 p.m. and 8 o'clock p.m., the three picked up some rented movies for her to watch that night and went to Anderson's apartment. Anderson had planned to go to the family cabin the next day to help renovate the building. She had also planned to meet with her mother on Sunday to get her hair done for her Employee of the Month picture on Monday. Anderson arrived safely into her apartment, carrying a full cup of soda. Anderson would never be seen again. Anderson was reported missing three days after her disappearance when she didn't show up for work on Monday, which was extremely uncharacteristic of her, as she was an exemplary employee. The police went to her apartment to find it was locked from the outside. The cup of soda she had been drinking was found sitting in her apartment, empty, and one of the videos she had picked out earlier was inside the VCR. Her purse was on the counter and everything was undisturbed. 
All her belongings were left behind, save for her house keys. On the night of her disappearance, two odd occurrences happened. First of all, there was a large fire burning in a swamp on the outskirts of Wadena. From her apartment window, Anderson would have been able to see the fire. Authorities have theorized that she took her keys, locked her door, and went to investigate the fire but was attacked on her way there. However, all evidence of this theory is circumstantial. The second odd occurrence is that on the same evening of her disappearance, a brown Plymouth Horizon was stolen a couple of blocks from Anderson's apartment. The car was never recovered, and it is unknown if its theft has any connection to Anderson. The response to her disappearance was immense, and according to Detroit, Detroit Lakes Tribune's website, a larger-than-average search effort was made to try and locate her. A search committee was made for her, and a WCCO helicopter was sent to patrol the area for any sign of her. Unfortunately, all efforts were unsuccessful, and Anderson was never seen after that Friday night. Foul play is suspected in her disappearance. All of Anderson's family members, including her boyfriend in Illinois, were cleared as suspects. According to Anderson's loved ones, local people would sometimes harass and attempt to take advantage of Anderson. Her parents recalled that two sorry, her parents recalled that two boys would harass Anderson by visiting her apartment and knocking on her windows from the outside. Her parents believed that someone Anderson was acquainted with came to the apartment and convinced her to leave with them. Sadly, both of Anderson's parents died in 2008 without ever learning of what happened to their daughter. I know I already said that to the to the to the previous case, but that was a lot. Yeah. That was Oh, gosh. I know. And again, all of these cases are sad. Like I'm not trying to rank based on tragedy or anything, but it's always just, you know, she had a lot of people who cared about her and she was doing really well for herself. So, no matter what happened to her, it's it's just like, you know, it's really really tragic. Yeah, and it's just unfortunate that when she was having, obviously it wouldn't be any less unfortunate, yeah. any less fortunate if it happened during like a bad time in her life. But you know, she had employee of the month. Mm-hmm. She was gonna go get her picture taken. She was gonna, yeah. you know, it's just she had a bright future ahead of her. And since foul play is suspected, and per- I mean, I'm not anyone, but personally, I feel that way too. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, it's just sad that. And also, like, her family said that she would get harassed a lot. It's just like, really? That's how you're spending, you know, your nights? That's <laughs> that's your hobby, you right. know? Like, yeah. And the sad thing is that hasn't changed. There's still people who harass people with mental disabilities. It's like, get a hobby, you know? Right. T- take up some sewing. Go, you know? go to work. Book. Yeah. Get a, get a part-time job. <laughs> yeah. Anderson's doing better than you. She's got employee of the month. <laughs> what have you done? Alright, so now on to some reasons as to why Anderson might be Mary Jane Doe. First of all, the physical appearance of Anderson and the Doe match up. Um. I don't know where my paper went. <laughs> it's okay. I'm gonna... Um, I'll provide the listeners with me sipping hot chocolate while you... That's that. not... No. What the heck? Um. We can pause it and edit it. Yeah. How do I... Hello. Are we back? Yeah, we're back. Okay. Okay, Okay, great. Are you ready? Now, on to the reasons as to why Anderson might be Allen County's Mary Jane Doe. First of all, the physical appearance of Anderson and the Doe match up considerably. 
Anderson was around 410-51. Now, onto the reasons as to why Anderson might be Allen County's Mary Jane Doe. First of all, the physical appearance of Anderson and the Doe match up considerably. Anderson was around 4 feet 10 inches tall to 5 feet 1 inches tall, and she weighed only 80 pounds due to severe growth retardation, and the doe was considered short and thin. Anderson was also white with blonde hair, while the doe was also white and had light brown hair. She did have blue eyes and notably long, thin hands, but again, Mary Jane Doe's body was so decomposed that they might have had these features and the coroner's office was not able to identify them. Now. Anderson also had a one-and-a-half-inch long scar over her right eye from sutures. Oh. Why she received these sutures and when is not currently public information. But if you recall, Mary Jane Doe had healing fractures on her left and right nasal bones. Oh. If the sutures Anderson received were nose-related, then it is yet another similarity to Mary Jane Doe. Anderson's age also matches with Doe. If she is her, then she would be 28 years old at the time of her death. Like with Teresa Gay Kaiser, three years off from the initial estimate of 20 to 25 years old isn't that drastic as it might sound. Third of all, Anderson disappeared in blue jeans, a white sweatshirt with three Pepsi and Mountain Dew bears on it, a brown jacket with a Hardee's logo, and pink sneakers. Mary Jane Doe was found in pink sneakers, although the rest of the clothing that Doe was found in does not match up with Anderson's clothing. However, if Anderson is the Doe, she would have been gone for five years, and surely she would have changed some of her clothes no matter the circumstance. If Anderson left on her own accord, then she would have had a motive to, since her boyfriend lived in Lake Park, Illinois. Whether intentionally or accidentally, it wouldn't be difficult for Anderson to go to Indiana. Finally, Anderson was unfortunately harassed by locals on account of her mental disability, with many people trying to take advantage of her. Sadly, women with a mental disability are much more likely to be trafficked for sex than women without mental disabilities, according to a method study done by Joan Reed in 2018. Anderson's family believed she was lured from her apartment by someone she trusted. Perhaps Anderson was lured and sex-trafficked out to Indiana, became pregnant, and was left to fend on her own. <sighs> okay. It's rough, yeah. I don't know how to, like, respond to these, because they're just, it's, it is rough. And I know, it, it's just tragedy after tragedy. Right. Isn't, um, Indiana one of the largest sex-trafficking, like, Are area? We? I, I, I thought I'd read about that uh, well, a couple times. Yeah. Anyways. I mean, maybe. This this happened in, like, what, late 80s, early right. 90s? yeah, so, it was a while ago. Well, yeah, but I'm saying, I mean, I'm sure it's not, like, one day Indiana became a huge trafficking. <laughs> no, exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah, so if that's true, that's certainly a lie. Okay, well, <laughs> now on to the reasons as to why Anderson is not Mary Jane Doe. Um, and, again, if Indiana is a large trafficking center, then this might disprove some of what I'm about to say, but... First of all, if Anderson was trafficked, why would she be trafficked to Fort Wayne? Why not go to Chicago, which is a larger city and therefore more profitable for traffickers, mm -hmm. and it's closer to Wadena than Fort Wayne is? If Anderson left on her own accord, then the theory falls apart further. She had no motive to go to Fort Wayne, much less without her personal belongings and without contacting her family. If you remember, Anderson had a very expansive search conducted on her, with her case still being investigated. 
How could Anderson go undetected for five years? Finally, almost all connections between Mary Jane Doe and Anderson are circumstantial. There is no evidence for this theory, merely similarities between Anderson and Doe. So what, do you, what do you think? That... I feel like that's more plausible than the... Um, Kaiser. Kaiser. Yeah. yeah. Because just... I mean, like you said, a lot of it is circumstantial and... Mm-hmm. In, in every case, we obviously don't really have a lot to go off of, Yeah. but it just, you know, her boyfriend was in Illinois, mm-hmm. and I don't know, that yeah. just m- gives her more of a connection to Fort Wayne. Yeah, and I mean, it's kind of hard. We don't have mental disabilities, and it's not like, you know, people who do have them are like, alien, we don't know how they think, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when people speculate on disappearances or deaths of people with mental disabilities, they're like, well, this doesn't make sense. But, you know, for people with those disabilities, the reasoning is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to us, it might be like, oh, it's a fire in a swamp, who cares? But, you know, to another person, that's, I need to go investigate that. Right. And I think the real crucial part of this is going to be the the sutures on the eye or the 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 nose thing i think that's you know going to be the key thing into finding out if this is if mary jane doe is carla beth anderson Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really important detail for sure yeah um if you have any information about carla beth anderson or her disappearance you are asked to call 817-374-2765 all right this is our last theory are you ready okay strap in okay all right Our last theory is that Mary Jane Doe was Teresa Lynn Lawyer Wisner, a 24-year-old woman who disappeared from Elwood, Indiana, on May 24, 1990. Wisner had started a new job at a finance company in Carmel on the 20th, only four days before her disappearance. She had no problems of mental illness, no drug use, or prior bouts of leaving unannounced. She also had a son who was a toddler. However, not everything in her life was as happy as it seemed to be. Teresa and her husband, James L. Wisner, were having marital difficulties in 1990, and Teresa was planning to seek a divorce. Teresa's family states that James did not want a divorce, and he had come to Teresa's parents, Walter and Wilma Lawyer, asking them to help him with changing Teresa's mind. Nonetheless, Teresa was adamant about getting the divorce, and she would not change her mind about it. According to James, Teresa left her home for reasons unknown at 9.30 p.m. in her 1979 Toyota Celica on May 24, 1990, leaving all of her clothes and belongings behind at her house. She would never return. Authorities were able to find that she placed a call from Roxy's Airport Inn in Elwood at 10 p.m., but who she called is either not known or not public information at this time. Authorities suspect that she may have left the inn with an unidentified individual. According to Wisner's Charlie Project profile, two men saw a woman matching Teresa's description walking along Indiana 37 at approximately 10.30 p.m. The men said that the car the man was in... Oh, sorry. So, the men said that alongside Teresa... There was a man in a car driving along her, shouting obscenities at her. Oh, dear. Yeah, and the men said that the car that the man was in was similar to Teresa's car and that it even had the same muffler sound. Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. 
Two days after her disappearance, Teresa's brother-in-law found her car abandoned with a flat tire in a rural area along Indiana 37, south of Elwood. There was no sign of her at the scene, and she has never been heard from again. Police suspect foul play and have identified James as a suspect in her presumed murder. The story doesn't end there, though. Teresa's parents smelled a foul order, odor in James and Teresa's house a few days after Teresa was last seen, and friends said that James poured concrete in his basement around that time, but a search of the house turned up nothing. Teresa's parents described their relationship with James as distant, but the parents said they were close to Teresa, who had confided in them about her problems with James. Her family believes that she would have never left on her own accord. For several months after Teresa's son went missing, James allowed Walter and Wilma to visit and babysit their grandson. But in November 1990, after Walter asked James to clear himself in her case, James cut off Teresa's family's access to the boy. In spring of 1991, less than a year after her disappearance, her parents went to court over being allowed to see the child. See, state law grants visitation rights to grandparents in the event of death or divorce of their natural child. But James argued that this law didn't apply because there was no evidence that Teresa was dead. A judge ended up granting visitation rights to Teresa's parents anyway, but this was not a formal declaration of death for D Teresa. But since her disappearance on May 24th, no new information regarding her fate or whereabouts have come to light. So what do you think, Hayden? Mm, James, huh? <laughs> oh, James. <laughs> James. Okay, so she would have been the closest to... Yeah. The Mary Jane Doe. Yes. Um, yeah, where she was found. Yeah. Um, Elwood, Indiana is an hour and 27 minutes away from Fort Wayne. Okay. So. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> see, every, every, I know it's probably just because I'm just now hearing it, but every, every um, case just seems more plausible than the last. For sure, yeah. So, here are some reasons, some of the reasons as to why Mary Jane Doe was Teresa Lynn Lawyer Wisner. Well, first of all, Wisner matches a lot of the physical traits of Doe. She was 24 years old, she stood at 5 feet 1 inch between 5 feet and 3 inches, and she weighed 135 pounds, and she also had brown hair like the Doe. She also had blue eyes and pierced ears, but for the third time now I've said this, <laughs> Doe's body was so decomposed that the body might have had those features and we would not know. Mm-hmm. Also, as I said, Elwood, Indiana is only one hour and 27 minutes, and out of all the theories, Elwood is the closest to Fort Wayne. Um, but um, if we're theorizing that Wisner left on her own, then perhaps Wisner was desperately trying to hide from her husband and hid just a little too well. And perhaps the stress of the divorce and James made her just want to leave and never look back. But frankly, there's a lot of reasons to consider why Wisner is not, though. First of all, Wisner disappeared wearing a gray and white sweatsuit and a gold chain with a diamond. D um, and Teresa was also carrying a black purse with gold trim. But none of these clothing items were found on Doe, and considering that Wisner did not take any of her belongings with her, it raises the question of where she received this new clothing. Also, there really aren't any motives for Wisner to leave on her own. Yes, the divorce was stressful, but she had a toddler son, a supportive family, and a new job at home. Why leave? And that leads us into our final argument. It is suspected that Wisner's husband had something to do with her disappearance since foul play is suspected. Mm -hmm. Witnesse witnesses say they might have seen Teresa walking along the road and being shouted at by a man driving alongside in her own car. 
It is also claimed that James covered a suspicious, awful smell in his basement with concrete around the time Wisner disappeared. Uh, James, James. Come on. As of now, the information suggests foul play, and it is hard to explain how Wisner would end up in a basement, pregnant, two years after her disappearance. Exactly. Oh yeah. my gosh. See, I just... It makes me so sad, because they all... All all three women and Doe deserve closure, yeah. you know? And, like... Just the fact that they'll probably never get that well. is... Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so pessimistic. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll get into that, but um, I know that's, I didn't, you know, I'm into true crime. That's why I'm doing a 30-minute episode on a body <laughs> that was found. Um, but I, it's still hard to comprehend, like, the amount of people that are missing. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost incomprehensible. Like, you know, you register it in your mind, but it's, it's just like, oh my god, these are people that disappeared right, off right. the face of the earth. And the funny thing is, too, like I mentioned, you know, previously, there's probably more people that have gone missing, but people are just like, oh, they haven't exactly. called me back. And it's the same thing as, like, you know, big concepts like climate change or starvation in other countries. Like, we're like, oh, it's not happening to me. It's yeah. not affecting me. It hasn't happened to anyone that I know. Yeah. Therefore, it's not really... Yeah. We're not able to see it as it is, necessarily. Yeah, and that's the sad thing, because with disappearances, unfortunately, it's usually women of color that go Mm -hmm. missing. Yeah. And, you know, we won't turn this into a political episode or anything, (laughs) but, you know, government funding is already kind of like, you know, it's hard to get it for anything that's not seen as, like, immediate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just kind of sucks in that a lot of these cases with proper funding and proper attention and time could probably be solved but just because of bureaucracy they either won't be or they'll take a long time exactly yes so now that we've brightened up the room with that commentary (laughs) if you have any information about Teresa lynn lawyer wisner you are asked to call 765-646-9281 all right So, as we reach our conclusion, it has been now 30 years since Mary Jane Doe was found in that basement. So it's easy to grow disheartened and to think that this case is unsolvable. That is not so, however. There's hope for this case being solved, as the case has been revived and her body has been exhumed for testing this year. 2020 to 2021 has especially been a good two years for identifying previously unidentified bodies. And bodies far, far older than 30 years have been identified. For instance, a skeletonized, dismembered torso was found in a sack in a cave in 1979. Forensic investigation found that the body died sometime in 1916. 103 years later, in 2019, that torso was identified as Joseph Henry Loveless, a murderer who escaped from prison, and they found that using forensic genealogy. That's insane. I know. That's crazy. If he can be identified, then eventually Mary Jane Doe can be identified. Mm -hmm. If you have any information about Mary Jane Doe, any relatives that you haven't heard from in a while, anyone that you you think might be Mary Jane Doe, you are asked to call 260-449-7389. So, Peyton, now that we've reached <laughs> the end of our episode, okay. who do you think Mary Jane Doe was? 
I mean, I, I kind of want to rule out Kaiser just because the Florida thing, yeah. you know, the distance. Mm-hmm. It's just obviously, obviously it could have happened, you yeah. know, but I don't know. I, 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 I want to say Wisner. Mm-hmm. What, am I saying? Yeah. Okay. Wiser, Wisner. Wiser. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I feel, I want to say her, but I feel like that might just be because she was the closest to, mm-hmm you know, the site, but then also there's James yeah, <laughs> and the concrete and the weird smell. And that's a whole different, you yeah. know, that adds a whole nother layer to yeah. it. As I was, you know, investigating, if you want to call it that, these cases, it's like a lot of these cases are just like, yeah, the husband was found in bloody clothing, <laughs> holding a knife and dragging a, a bloody sack around. We don't know what happened to her. Like, I think you can put two and two together but yeah yeah. Mm -hmm. um yeah so you think like ranking them um i would do wisner first anderson second and kaiser third Mm. see yeah how about you i'm i agree with you that i i don't think it's kaiser but honestly i think in order of like most to least likely for me, it's Anderson, mm-hmm. um, Kaiser, and then Wisner. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't really oh. think I don't really think Wisner had much of a motive to leave. Right. And I think you know. <laughs> I really do think it's Carla Beth Anderson. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's it's <laughs> Kaiser and Wisner. I can kind of like you know fluctuate on right. and everything, but I really think it's Anderson. Mm-hmm. And of course, if that suture thing gets, you know, disproven, right, yeah. then I'm going to look like a fool. But I think, you know, <laughs> trafficking, I mean, not good, Um, but, you know, I think, unfortunately, it's someone like Carla Beth Anderson, someone with a mental disability, but also someone who's really sweet, really mm-hmm. trusting, I think, unfortunately, is very susceptible to human trafficking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do think it's weird that five years would pass without any sort of identification, but if you're, you know, seeing Anderson in that situation, you're probably, you know, you're probably hanging out with traffickers, so you're yeah, probably not that's... the kind who would go to the police, you know? <laughs> All right. Yeah, but it's definitely, again, like, a bunch of sad cases, mm-hmm. um, and I think, again... Even though it's not like sh- sh- they these like the body will be identified or these three women will be located one way or another and they'll be like revived and everything will be okay, but I think it is important for people to get their names back and for these things to mm-hmm. be found out. Um, just because I think you know the evil that happens to them whether it be at the hands of another person or just you know fate like crashing a car Mm -hmm. and not being found or anything I think it won't fix it but it can relieve the pain Mm -hmm. that they like as cheesy as it'll sound that they went through but also their family and loved ones exactly exactly and just having that closure you know, it, it can mean a lot yeah. to, to the people that loved them. Yeah, and... people with... Sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Yeah. I was going to say people with missing loved ones, they often say that the worst part is not knowing. Exactly. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it won't be... It would not be um, fun to hear that someone 
you loved and cared about died, especially if, if it was in a violent way. But I think closure is very important in the grieving process. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's, you know, respect in a way, like you said. Mm-hmm. Like, just to, like, recognize what they went through, mm-hmm. like, before their death. Yeah. And... And, you know, that means a lot. And even just reading about their lives is important, too, I feel like, because mm-hmm. it, it makes it personal. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. Yeah. And when you learn, you can help prevent future things from mm-hmm. happening. Like, I feel like I'm bouncing all over the wall with, like, <laughs> topics, but that's why it's important to learn about things like the Holocaust. It's, it's important to learn about how, like, fascists come into power, because mm-hmm. when you learn you're able to recognize these things. So when you learn how someone was taken advantage of, mm-hmm. you know, how someone was abused. Exactly. Then you, you know what I mean? When you learn things, that reflects in how you act. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, even if it's just glancing over these people's profiles, it's it's important to learn their story. Yeah, exactly. And, hey, if you... If anything else comes to light about any of these cases, you'll have to let me know. Maybe we can hop on and do, like, a 30-second update podcast. I know. A million bucks that, like, the minute we drop this podcast, it'll be solved. (laughs) I'm sure. Whatever. The whole podcast, just us talking about theories that are, like, already Already disproven. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, guys, we've reached the end, and thank you all so much for listening. Um, Please visit our sponsor, Hoffman Certified Organics, at the Fort Wayne Farmer's Market, or shop at La Auto Meats. Tell them you heard the podcast. This has been Stella Brewer and Peyton Holsworth, and we're the Charger Online Podcast. Mm